I think is um, a picture of what Paul is saying to us in the second chapter of the book of Ephesians. So I want to read some verses and then I want to tell a story. I think it'll have tremendous application. I don't know how you landed, but this week I've just kind of landed on this idea that, first of all, I am a poetry of God's grace through faith. It's a gift of His, so I don't boast about this, except in Him. And and I, I love the definition. I've walked throughout this week just simply saying, God, is your poetry of grace? I'm, I'm a plank. I'm a person that people walk over in this lion's den of life to see your goodness and to see your grace. And I, I love that. I love on Mother's Day being able to look and say, Holy God, we want you to rewrite some stories because we meet here. God, we want to be a plank on this Mother's Day over the lion's den of life so that there is hope, there is promise, there is there, there's a different future, there's a rewritten passion of your heart because you are our God and we're your people. This is what Scripture says about us. Um, it says uh, some incredible thoughts about our position apart from Christ that we're not, we're neither bad nor um, we have a soiled heart. We are dead in the midst of sin and wrath and hopeless apart from Jesus. And I'm not positive that that's been the message of the faith. I believe that the message of the faith has been this. Would you, in fact, I had this discussion standing in this spot about an hour ago where we have actually said, would you give Jesus your heart? And I think Jesus is looking and going, your heart is dead. And it's worthless and it's, and it's so unclean and it's corrupt. But here's what I would like to do, according to the book of Ezekiel. I would like to take out your old heart and give you a heart that is sensitive or turned toward me. And I don't know that all of us understood our position. Many of us, in fact, I, I greatly fear, according to scripture, that many of us in this room have, have said, Jesus, would you kind of take a portion of my life in your corner? And I don't see any part of that in Scripture. And so I would just invite you, as you come head to head with verses like Ephesians, the second chapter, I would invite you to wrestle with your relationship with Jesus Christ. And I do that unashamedly, and I do that gladly. To pause and say, God, have I asked you to just consume everything for the sake of your glory. Because apart from you, I, I have nothing to offer that's good. And in fact, apart from you, I am everything but good. But in you, I'm, I am made whole. I love the verses. I mean, I think it's, you know, some of you are going, oh, this is sad, it's depressing. You're telling me that I'm a child of wrath. Yeah, I mean, you are. And then verse 4 of Ephesians 2nd chapter are the two best words in Scripture. And it's why Christians, some of them are super jubilant. They're not Baptists all the time. But some Christians are jubilant when they hear words like, but God, listen to these words, who is rich in mercy. That's like describing, if you would, a king in that time who has more than he knows what to do with. So God, who is very aware of what he has and very aware of what he would like to do with it. But as they read this, they're reading, we have a king who has abounding wealth in mercy. And I'm so thankful for that in the midst of my great failure and my epic sin, God, who is rich in mercy. The book of Lamentations says it this way, the mercies of God are so abounding in, in, in wealth that they move at you every single morning of your life. 
And I love this thought that they were new today when you wake up. That God's mercies are new to meet you where you are. New to carry you where he wants you to go. God's mercies are coming at us. And they're coming at us because of this very truth. He has great love for us because he made us. I love this heart. I just... I read this hard and go, your mom's love is the love of a heart of God. My mom loves me and she loves me no matter what. If we could just be simple, the mercies of God, they are rich. And He loves you no matter what. And His mercies are moving toward you in the fullness of His love. Welcome to Mother's Day, or more importantly, welcome to a heavenly Father who is rich in love bounding in mercy, who formed you and he made you alive, oh my goodness, with the Messiah, even though you were dead in trespasses. Once again, just an incredible moment for someone, at least in their heart, to say, praise you God, you're saved by grace together with Christ. Not only are you saved by grace, but you're raised up, you're seated in the heavens in union with Christ I know. I'm just like, are you kidding me? I mean, we are made alive with Christ, in union with Christ, one with Christ, seated with Christ. Praise God. This is the gospel. And here's why. So in the coming ages, like in this very moment and in the ages to come, we could be a display of the immeasurable riches of His grace and the the unbelievable kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So there's your purpose as you walk this earth. There's your holy compulsion. I just am compelled by the mercy of God that flooded me. My eyelids started fluttering this morning at 6 o'clock and His mercies were waiting right there. The Holy Spirit was leaning into me going, Good morning, Mark. How's it going? My mercies are flooding toward you right now. My love is moving toward you right now and I just want your heart to flower toward that. And when it does, I just, I'm just sitting around going, Oh God, before I climb out of bed, can this day be one, uh, one day for your glory? Can this be, be one day for your honor? Because God, I was just, I was dead 39 years ago. I didn't have a problem. I was dead, a child of wrath, miserably sinful, and you stepped in and rescued me, united me with Jesus, seated me in heaven. Are you kidding God? Could I be an, a display of your immeasurable greatness today? Could that be, could that be who I am? For you're saved by grace through faith. This is not something your grandmother did for you. This is not a heritage of your family. It is a gift of God. It is a decision of yours that will compel you into a kingdom family. This is a, it is a moment in time when you recognize, and it could be happening right now for some of you in this room who've never heard of the mercies of God or who actually thought when you walked in, I've got something good I bring to the table. And right now, God is stirring something up within you and He is moving you toward Himself. And you're beginning to say some words like this, God, I'm starting to understand grace. And what He's doing is kind of fueling your faith right now because you get that from Him also. Praise the Lord. 
I mean, you got nothing. If he's moving in you right now and he's moving you toward himself, it is a faith that is bestowed in you by God through grace. Praise the Lord for that. Because otherwise you would start boasting about something you did. I'm reading scripture now, kind of paraphrasing just a tad. But this is not about your boast. This is a creation of who we are in Christ Jesus. Here's why. Four good works which he prepared ahead of time so that we could walk in them. So tomorrow morning when you crack your eyelids, you're wondering like this, this, I mean, God, will your mercy move toward me? Will you resurrect me again this day in Christ Jesus? I'm not asking you to ask him to save you again today, just to save you from yourself. And that's a beautiful picture of scripture. It is a legal moment, it's transaction in heaven. The moment that we come to know Christ, we are seated there. And yet as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, we are working this out before God and his mercies are moving toward us today, right now. And I am really thankful that he doesn't just preserve it for the morning. But you know, it's still morning, but I mean, it's, it's going to move to us at two o'clock this afternoon. It's just going to move. Some of you are going to be napping, watching the TPC. It's Mercy's moving. Grace is moving. Faith is just coming your way. Just going, thank you, God in Christ. Allow me to be a display of your splendor. I went to an Old Testament story. I've really enjoyed um, an opportunity for a season of life to just immerse myself in reading lots of different people's thoughts on grace. And it never felt that, that the, whether it was Chuck Swindoll or... or um, uh, I, I'm terrible at books. Let me just not start naming books. I mean, it just, they always roll back to this extraordinarily obscure story in the Old Testament. Many of you have heard of it. Um, many of you have not. And the first portion of it, and I just, can I just tell this story in light of the scripture and see what we walk out with in about 15 minutes? Thanks. In 2 Samuel 4 4, I just want to introduce you to this character. And it just says this of, of, of him, and it's coming up on the screen, I think. In second, don't you like that? That's interesting. And so in 2 Samuel 4 4, it says, Saul's son, Jonathan had a son whose feet were crippled. It's just who he was. That's how people defined him. He was five years old when the report about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. The one who had nursed him picked him up and she fled. And she was hurrying to flee as she fell. She apparently fell pretty hard. She crippled him. And for the next two decades, he is, his name, by the way, is Mephibosheth. Golly, I have this down. Mephibosheth. Thank you very much. You say it your way, I'll say it mine. Mephibosheth, and she's running out, drops him, cripples him, and that's what you know about him in 2 Samuel 4, the fourth chapter. Welcome to the story of Mephibosheth. Welcome to the story of the son of Jonathan, who's the grandson of Saul. And if you know this story at all or know historic story, Saul is the first king uh, that, that, that has been said of Israel. And Saul and Jonathan, if you'll carry on with the story, are killed in battle. And David, as most of you know, the writer of many of the Psalms, a man after God's own heart, followed in the lineage of the king. And in those days, the, ver- the tradition of the kings would be that they would remove, exterminate, whatever word you want to use, all of the prior king's family. David had zero intention, I believe, if you understand David's heart, had no intention of following this protocol, but the family had no way of knowing this. And so that's where you pick up this encounter in 2 Samuel 4.4. 4. Their family's going, 
Saul has died. Jonathan have died. They've died on the field of battle. We've got to get out of here. This is a critical moment. Grab Mephibosheth. Let's get out of here. Let's get the only family member who would be the right to the place of the kingship. Let's get him out of here right now. In the movement of getting him out of there, he's dropped and he's crippled and that is what he is about. This story should sound extraordinarily familiar for many of us in this room if you're going to go with Ephesians, the second chapter, because many of us, well, in fact, more of us are born for more. We're born to be a part of the king's family. We're born for what God intends for us and we're crippled as we walk about. We carry wounds, if you will, of the fall. And there is an awe, or more importantly, which we should have as we view our God, a fear of the living God, the King. And in this moment, you begin to see the unpacking of Ephesians, the second chapter, when it says, do you not know your circumstances? Do you not know who you are? But David, if you would go with this story, but God, if you go with the kingdom story of our own lives, he steps in by his grace. Romans 5, the story of our position apart from Christ and our position in Jesus Christ and the, the call to worship. My only prayer as an outcome is that this sermon is a plank over the lion's den of life and that what we walk out of today is worshipers who stand joyously on the cross. A people who rejoice in the mercy of God and a people who sit down and say, we don't know how to say this Mephibosheth guy's name, but we know that we fit perfectly in his story. We're made for more. We're a part of the fall. We're a part of the movement of God. His mercy has moved toward us. Meanwhile, carrying over two decades, David's kingdom has flourished. His kingship has has flourished. Israel has grown under his leadership. And yet David will never forget a promise that he made, or actually they made with one another. David and Jonathan, another sermon for another day, but it's a beautiful biblical picture of kingdom friendship. Jonathan loved David, as the scripture said, as much as he loved himself. himself. Their friendship met the test when when Jonathan's father, Saul, was trying to kill David and Jonathan and David commiserated together to ultimately save David's life, who God has set apart to be the king. And here's the one thing that Jonathan asked of him. If you want to look this in Scripture, in 1 Samuel, the 20th verse, it says this, David, here's what I ask of you, because I know in this moment we are going to separate We're going to go two different ways and we may never see each other again on this planet. And here's what I would ask you, David. Never stop showing kindness to my family. I want you to just love my family. And I love this because in the next moment in 2 Samuel, the ninth chapter, David in this 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 moment of, 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 I don't know what the word is, success and movement forward and kingship, he stops and asks this question, He stops and says this, is anyone in Saul's family left? I have heard that every one of them were killed either in battle or they have gone off. Is there anyone that is left? I want to know this. And they begin to look and the answer came back to him. People who have been made alive in Christ Jesus. People who have been resurrected with Christ. 
People who have experienced the grace of Christ. People who are after God's heart. They start to ask questions exactly like this. Can I serve someone? Is there anyone that's not yet in the family? Is there anyone that is in a circumstance? Can I lay down a plank over someone who is in the lion's den? And can I lay on the plank and lift them up to the cross? I can't die for them. But I can lay a plank of the cross for them. And I believe David demonstrates for us our outworking of the grace of God. I just wonder in this room if we can stop and say, is there anyone in the circle of influence in which God has given me who I could possibly serve? That would be a response to but God who is rich in mercy. David's, it's not a lot of people will look and say, yeah, David is, I mean, we're getting him ready for an election year. Buckle up. It's going to be exciting. I mean, commercial after commercial. I think I just watched so little TV. Praise the Lord for this season. David was not doing this for political gain. He's at the apex of power. It's not election year. There's no election of the king. He's not doing this for some self-serving deal. He is doing this only in response to the goodness of God in his life. And then the answer comes back to him and says, Ziba says to him, David, there is one that is left over from the family. His name is Mephibosheth, and he is crippled of feet. And David could have looked and just paused and said, I know you said there's just one. Can we do a more copious search? That's, that's not his answer at all. I love that. I mean, he could have carried on. The place where Mephibosheth was living is, is called Lodabar, if you follow this through in 2 Samuel. It literally means a barren place. A place where some planks need to be dropped. And David is looking and saying, can we bring him in? And I love David's response to Ziba, who comes back to him and says, there is one, it is Jonathan's son, he's crippled of feet, and David says this of him, Where is this? And listen to the word. Where is this son? You want to talk about a rewritten story? It is being rewritten right now in response to grace. Because people who have experienced grace are stopping and saying, is there anyone that I can serve? And I said, yeah, he's broken. He's battered. To go with um, a thought from John Piper when he was reading some scripture from Romans, he may come in and pummel your home and write all over your walls and mess up your life and make you struggle. And the scripture that he read, I didn't prepare for this, I'm just sharing from a Bible study last Wednesday. He said, but the king of glory is worthy of servitude. And when you serve the king, you serve those who are deeply hurting who live in low debar, and you probably don't run with them. Is there anyone that the Mandarin family can serve in Jacksonville? Are there some orphans on another part of this world that could use a bathroom? I love this. David responded, and let me get back to really my point in this moment and then finish this story. A son... How long has it been since Mephibosheth has been called a son? If you follow it through Scripture, you don't have a lot. But here's what he's always called by. He's called by his brokenness. It's Mephibosheth of crippled feet. 
Can I just continue to make application of Ephesians, the second chapter? How would it feel for us? In fact, allow freedom to step into this room by the Spirit of God, please. How would it feel if we just simply went with this? You know what? I am, I am Mark. I am the person who was wayward from God, and that's all that I am. I am Mark. I am a person who is dead. That's who I am. I am Mark the alcoholic. Isn't it interesting that one of our primary programs allows you to spend the rest of your life identifying you by your failure when Christ says you have been made alive in Jesus Christ? How many of us in this room mark our lives by our failure and the living God is saying, Behold my daughter. Behold my son who was once crippled, but is crippled no more because they're in my presence. His feet may not work, but I'll carry him over the lion's den of life. How many of you in this room have allowed your life to be defined by who you once were? And I just tell you that that is not, that is not the voice of our Lord who has made you, quickened you in Christ who has seated you in heaven, who has called you and sustained you, and who holds all things together. Praise God for His grace. You are not the adulterer. You are not the failure. You are not the homeless. You are not the motherless. You are not the cripple. You are not the spouseless. But God has laid a plank over your life and called you to so much more. God who is rich in mercy. I'll just not go off on that again. It is ceaseless. It is limitless. That is our God. Mephibosheth carried this for two decades. When people mention him, they mention his problem. Is it plausible today that you could lay down at the altar of God's grace what you have allowed to define you until this moment, this day, and you could now be defined as a son or daughter of God. We can learn a lot from this story. He's not only defined by that anymore, he's a son. And then they did the most amazing thing. They carried him to the king. They carried him in a chariot. It's kind of cool. They escorted him to a palace. They postured him before the king. Can you imagine with crippled feet? And he says very familiar words to most of us. Don't be afraid. It's the first words David says to Mephibosheth. Don't be afraid. Doesn't our king respond in a similar manner? When we begin to understand our spiritual condition, when we begin to understand that we're not just kind of bad, that we're children of wrath, we are in rebellion, that we're dead from God, we are separated from Him, and we sit down before Him, there is awe in that moment. And the first words of Jesus throughout the Gospels is this, Do not fear. There's grace here. There's mercy here. I have built a bridge over the lion's den of life. Come in grace through faith to the cross. Just as David kept his promise to Jonathan, so God keeps his promise to us. 
The, the name Mephibosheth literally means to scatter shame. And I love that David did that in a very practical way. He said, let's re-kind of title this idea. We're going to scatter shame. I am going to return to you all of your land. I'm going to give to you all of your crops. I'm going to return your servants to you. And you're going to feast at the king's table. And I think that's absolutely awesome. And I'm calling us to feast at the king's table. And not only did he say that you're going to feast at the king's table, not only did he say that one time, but if you follow this through Second Samuel, he says it four times. Mephibosheth will always eat at my table. The king of glory looks at us and says, you will feast at my table. My word will bring life to you. My son will bring hope to you. My kingdom, it is, it is for my glory and it will bring a grand picture of the gospel to your heart and you won't walk around as if this day is any other day because my mercies have moved in you. Mephibosheth ate at David's table, listen, listen, as if he were the king's son. Now you love that picture? Can't you just picture yourself sitting down with the Son of God right now and His food is all over your face? You just, I'm sitting at your table as if I'm one of your kids. That's how I want us to feast today as you go to Mother's Day feast. Just look and say, we're feasting with you, Mom, but we're feasting with the king. Third time, so Mephibosheth at its day, well, it's third time, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. I just, we're compelled by this, by grace and faith as sons and daughters of God, those who know him and love him. We are made alive in him. We are sustained by him. We are lifted up and we eat at the king's table for heaven's sake through him. Those are kind of your notes if you hadn't been jotting those in the notes. You are now compelled by him so that as we understand our our position in grace, we just begin to ask questions like this. Can I serve somebody today? Is there anybody around that, I mean, I'm eating at the king's table and apparently it's a large table. My heart immediately goes to a goofy song. It's got lots and lots of room. It's a big house. For those of you that haven't heard the song, yes, that's 20 years ago. I mean, it is a glorious house. Who can I lay down my life toward? How do I lay a plank over this? Who needs to be served? And the love of Jesus Christ, it compels me. I I started this and I'll just end this this way. My only prayer is that you would walk out today as a worshiper of the living God because of the mercy and the love of God that is moving toward you right now. I am praying that in this moment as you experience the love of Christ because servitude and, and laying down your lives for others it will not be compelling nor lasting apart from the grace and the love of God. And as a church, I long for us to push as poetry of God's grace, as planks of His hope, deeply into the bowels of the lion's dens of this world. And we do that when we understand who we are in Christ. You're made alive. You're seated in Jesus. You're feasting at His table. You're sustained forever. You're in union with Jesus. And I'm just, I could just go on and on. Oh my goodness, praise you, Father. Anybody need help today? I'm I'm weird. My brain is just sitting with Mephibosheth with like grape jelly all over his face going, I'm in. (laughs)
Somebody just put me on your back and I'm going to help. And that's my picture of each one of us as we worship today. We just covered faces of the King's banquet. I'm in. I'm praising you, Jesus. Let's pray. God, we love you. Your grace and mercy is good and new in this moment. And we praise you for that. God, we praise you that you move us toward yourself. And God, you're doing that today. You're moving hearts toward you simply because of the truths of who you are. No inspirational message from me. Thank you, Jesus, for your scripture, for your truth, and for the promise of who we are in you. God, I pray that you will do many things in this room. God, I pray. I just want to pause and just say these things to the body. God, I praise you for your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm, I'm really praying this for us today. I'm, I was going to start saying it in prayer, and I just want to say it to you. I am praying for, as I prepared this and prayed over this, I know that many of you, because I walked this journey for probably eight or ten years, you have so poorly identified yourself and you've walked in that condemnation. Let me just tell you, that's not of the Spirit of God. Conviction comes from God and it draws you toward Christ-likeness. If you define yourself and you're in condemnation, that is of the evil one. And I invite you to just simply come and find the fullness of life that Jesus has for you. Be defined in Him. Be free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And this isn't some feel-good sermon. You're not going to be free to do anything. When you're full of the mercy and the grace of God, you will walk in the fullness. The reason many of us are walking outside of the plan and purposes of God is because we haven't walked in the fullness of who He says we are. And when we start to grasp that and start to feast at His table, He moves us for His glory. So can you just come and simply lay down what has been a burden and pick up a burden that Jesus says is light and easy and full? Maybe some of you in this room are sitting around and you're going, you know what, I haven't asked that question in a long time. And probably before I ask this question, who needs to be served? Can I just ask this, God, can I sit down at your table and eat for a while? I would just encourage you as a church to go home and open up Ephesians 2, begin at verse 1 and read down through verse 10 about a thousand times this week and begin to rest in the truth of who you are in Christ. There's freedom there. I promise if that happened with every one of us in this room, we wouldn't come into this room next week like we are now. I'm not suggesting how you'd respond. I'm just telling you, if our lives were centered in that, we would come in so full. Some of you are just kind of sitting and going, you know what? I have been carried by Jesus to this moment. I want freedom. Dr. Dan will be here. Joel's going to be here. You just kind of go, I need somebody to talk to. Let's get this off and let's get crazy for the kingdom. Who, Jesus, can we serve in this moment? Would you stand? Can we sing this song that says, our chains are gone. We're free.